Well, I'm so glad you're here today. What a wonderful time of singing together about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ, committed to uh, serving Him because He has been so faithful to you. It is His grace that has brought us together as believers, uh, no matter where we're from uh, or our background. uh, We are uh, bound by a common... Uh, a love, a love that we did not initiate, a love that came down to us, the love of Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then today we would encourage you to put your trust and your faith in Him. It is in Christ alone that you can find forgiveness of sin. It's in Christ alone that you can find real hope. Now, I don't want to sell you a bill of goods this morning. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, it does not mean your life will be easy. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the, the Bible promises that we will have hardships. We all know th- bad things happen to good people. Uh, there are, are times when we find ourselves, all of us, facing difficulties. And in those times, if you're a follower of Christ, God's desire for you is to be faithful to Him no matter what comes your way. Whether it's something minor like losing a ball game, which, by the way, didn't happen last night, or... Yeah, something major like waiting, or, or, or something major like failing health or uh, uh, the death of a loved one. We encourage you to remain faithful uh, to the Lord. I, I have a friend who's a retired minister in Hopkinsville. His name is Greg Giltner. He pastored at Hillcrest Baptist Church. Uh, Greg uh, uh, was doing a funeral a few years ago. And the service ended and the family made their way out to the, the cemetery. It, it, it was a dreadful day. It had rained almost an inch during the service and continued to rain while the, the, the processional headed to this remote uh, cemetery in North Christian County. It was a cemetery that was a family cemetery that uh, you had to go back a gravel lane and then uh, the, the, the lane around the cemetery was dirt. And so you can imagine trying to make this happen that day. The funeral home had provided one of those tents, but the number of people that went to the funeral outpaced the, the capacity of that tent. So everyone was squeezing in and trying to shield themselves from the, the, the rain and the 15 mile an hour uh, wind. And Greg said the temperature was uh, dropping constantly during the service. It was right before the committal as everyone is huddled up under the tent that Greg realized he was positioned at the foot of the grave. Now, that doesn't mean much to most of us and most of us would say big deal. But Baptist tradition and Christian tradition says that the pastor is supposed to stand at the head of the grave whenever they do the committal service. And so Greg realized he wasn't going to be able to get in front of the casket because people were crowded in. And he looked behind him and he saw a red carpet on the ground that he did not realize was covering the grave hole. You, you can imagine where this is going. Of course, he fell in with it, about an inch of rain, a mud swimming pool, and a preacher in a three-piece suit. <laughs> 
one of my friends who was there said, all of I knew one minute, all I knew is one minute I was standing there, and the next all I could see were Sunday shoes. <laughs> it was, thankfully he wasn't hurt, but it was so slick that the pallbearers had to pull him out of, of the grave. You know what's amazing? Somebody told me that there he was, covered in mud, probably a little bit embarrassed, freezing in the elements, and yet they said he did a great job with the service. That's faithfulness in the face of adversity. Um, of course, word got back around to the small town. The next Sunday when it was time for him to preach, he had a baptismal scheduled. He did the baptismal, uh, the baptism. He made his way out from uh, the, 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 behind the stage. He came out on the stage, and the music minister had cued everybody to the point when he walked in, the song changed, and everyone started singing, Up from the Grave He Arose. But uh, <laughs> we, we laugh, but we've all fallen in the mud. And the question today is not, have we fallen in the mud? The question today is, are we faithful when we do? Joseph, at age 17, has experienced a series of calamities. Uh, he, he had a rough home life, but uh, at, at this stage in his life, it seems like he is overcoming He's young, he's good-looking, he's intelligent, he has his father's favor. Uh, Joseph was, was the darling son. He was protected by his father, he was in line for a great inheritance, and from all accounts, he was a pretty good man. No major character flaws, he was faithful to God, but even he had to deal with lots of adversity. And as I think of Joseph's story... I would tell you first this morning that if, even if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you seek to be faithful to him, no one is immune from adversity. It, it, it comes to all of us. We like to think if we go to church, if we're good, if we treat people right, then life goes well. And most of us live pretty comfortably with this theology until something goes wrong. It holds up fine when our kids are healthy. It, it holds up well as long as we have income to pay the bills, as long as our family's intact, but, but when an unexpected fire comes, or, or when, when a wreck happens to someone you love, or you get a bad pathology report, so many people can find themselves thinking, God, where are you? Why have you allowed this to happen? I want you to know something this morning, and I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. When you get to that place, you get there because you have bad theology. When you get to the place where something goes wrong and you shake your fist and say, How did you let this happen, God? You got there because you don't understand the story that the, the Old Testament and the New Testament tell about those who are chosen by God. The Bible never promises that we will be insulated from problems. In fact, the Bible is clear that we will face trials and adversity in this life. And, and you can almost tell how good your theology is, how it perseveres under crisis. In fact, I would say that the value of your theology is only known when you find yourself in the squeeze of life's anvil. That, that's when you know if what you have is really worth having. Joseph's story is given to us, I think, to relate that, 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 that God 
allows the sun to shine on the just and the unjust and the rain falls on the same. And the question I would ask you, a follower of Jesus Christ, believer in his death and resurrection, will you be faithful to him when the rains come? Let's pick up Joseph's story in Genesis 37, beginning in verse 13. Israel said to Joseph, Jacob, his dad, says to Joseph, Your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready, I'm sending you to them. And Joseph replies and says, I'm ready. And we're going to find that this is a horrible decision by his father. The ten brothers hated Joseph. Uh, They hated him because he was their father's favorite. They hated him because he wore a special coat. They hated him because he had dreams and visions of grandeur. The Bible says they couldn't even speak a good word about him. His, his brother saw that he was loved more. And because of this, when he came to their mind, all oh, they could do was, was be frustrated at Joseph. They couldn't speak peaceably to him. Jacob must have been blind to not see how intense their disdain for, for Joseph was. You know, some sibling rivalries kind of expected. You know, if your kids aren't fighting a little bit, there's probably something wrong. You know, if they're not kind of arguing sometimes over what's on the TV or who's going to get to ride in the front seat of the car or, you know, what toys they're playing with. I mean, that's kind of natural, but this was sibling rivalry on steroids. They had moved to to hate, um, and and Jacob was oblivious to it. Genesis 34 uh, uh, tells us that Joseph's brothers had already had a taste for violence, and and Jacob doesn't he doesn't see it. Uh, they have a sister. Her her name uh, is Dinah, and Dinah was was uh, a, vi- a victim of a of a rape of a local uh, king and his or his the sons of a local king. And when the brothers hear this, they go into the city to take revenge. Uh, The Scripture says in Genesis 34, verse 25, that on the third day when they were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords, went into unsuspecting city, and killed everybody. They weren't just administering justice, they were seeking revenge. They robbed, they vandalized, they abused, they murdered And from all accounts, they seemed to enjoy it. And when Jacob found out about it, Jacob didn't punish his sons. He just said, guys, this was a bad political move. You're going to make life tough on us now. We're going to be hated. Jacob's naive about the potential evil in his sons. And and he sends Joseph out to them to check on them. This was a decision that, that Jacob would regret the rest of his life. By the way, parents, we need to to be alert about spiritual dangers that our kids might face. You know, uh, we're, we need to not send our kids into environments that they're unequipped to handle. A recent survey of high school students' attitudes about sex said that 71% don't believe that premarital sex is wrong. So if you send your teenager out without strong training and without accountability, you're sending them into a morally dangerous environment and you're sending them out like weaker lambs among wolves. 
if you send your young teenager to Florida for spring break without supervision, or you let them go off to a party and don't ask questions, where you're going, who you're going with, how long you're going to stay, when you're coming back, who you're riding with, then you're naive about the spiritual dangers of our culture. Now, I know you can't keep your kids isolated at home. You can't protect them from temptation forever. But you can be careful not to throw them to the adversary without the necessary equipment because I promise you, your child is someone that the adversary is roaming around to seek who he may devour. And your job as a parent is to equip and train your children and to prepare them. Now, I I do believe that sometimes the way you prepare is to give freedom. Uh, someone once told me that raising a kid uh, is is something like trusting them with money. And they said from one to five, you don't trust them with money because they might eat it, you know. But after the age of about six, pretend you have ten pennies. And about age six, you need to give them one of those ten pennies and start trusting them with that. And every year, they should get another penny until finally about the time they're 16, 17 years old, they're holding the whole thing and they know how to make decisions and they know what's good for them and they know what's best. But it is your job to equip and prepare and train. That's your job. Now, uh, teens and and. I know some of you are like, okay, Pastor, hush and move on. You know, I, I, want to, I want to talk to you and older children who are in here this morning as well. No matter who you are, those who love you can't insulate you forever. They, they just can't do it. Um, no matter if you're rich or poor or loved or not, educated or unlearned, there will come a time when no one can keep you from adversity. Jacob probably kicked himself, but he couldn't protect forever. And another thing that I see in this passage is those closest to you may be the ones who let you down. It, it makes me sad when, when I see grown children fighting. I've heard stories about people who are dealing with funerals, and those funerals, instead of times where families draw together and love one another, families are torn apart because siblings hold such deep-seated animosity toward one another. Joseph's brothers betrayed him and they brutalized him. And so Joseph hears that they're out tending their flocks. Jacob says, I'm going to send you there. Joseph says, I'm ready. And you'd expect Joseph to say, Dad, I don't want to go. Hey, that's a long way. The brothers don't like me. There's things around here to do. Don't send me. But Joseph was cooperative. He was reliable. He was conscientious. God's going to use those characteristics throughout his life. Uh, but at this instant, they find him in a tough spot. We continue on in verse 15. I think we're going to continue on in verse 15. Yeah, there we go. A man, a man found him there, wandering in the field, and asked him, What are you looking for? Joseph says, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are? I know they're pasturing flocks. Where are they at? And so he, he hears that... Uh, They've moved on, and he, he sets out after them, and he finds them at, at Dotham. Now, Joseph could have easily turned back at this moment and said, Hey, Dad, I went to where you told me to go, but they're not there. But Joseph was not afraid to go the extra mile to put forth the extra effort. And verse, the end of verse 17 tells us that the brothers see him in the distance, 
and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. When the brothers saw him coming, they saw an opportunity for revenge, and, and, and they, were, they were going to get even with him because of his father's extravagant love. Uh, by the way, I, I thought about this when I was reading this. Be careful when you run into a large group of people who don't like you. <laughs> there is danger in a mob. People will do things and say things in a large group that they would never say and do otherwise, and that mob will have a tendency to slink down to its lowest participant. Watch out if you're in a group, by the way. A group of bitter, angry people, you know, strikers on a picket line will do things that they would never do as individuals. Demonstrators in a march will yell and say things that they would never say as individuals. Drunks in a bar, losers on a team bus coming home, church members in a crowded parking lot. Those are dangerous places. Be careful. In a group like that, people talk big just to be heard, and then they have to back up their words. Or they look like cowards. And this group of ten brothers was dangerous like that. And verse 20 says, they say, come on, let, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of the pits. We can, we can say a vicious animal ate him. Then, then we'll see what becomes of his great dreams. At first, I don't think they believed, any, believed this would happen, but, but, but apparently it's getting dangerous. And Reuben starts saying, oh, oh wait a minute. Reuben's the oldest, by the way. And he, he speaks up and he says, oh, well, well, let's not take his life now, guys. Let, you can tell the mob is starting to, to take over. Verse 22, Reuben said, don't shed blood. Throw him into the pit uh, in, in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Uh, and Reuben intended to rescue him and take him back to his dad. Uh, Reuben failed, I think, for a couple reasons. Number one, he was cowardly. He should have said, over my dead body you're going to do this. That's what he should have done. And he failed because he lacked credibility. You remember something happened in Reuben's life before this time that undermined his credibility. Genesis 35 tells us when Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and he actually slept with his, his stepmother, uh, his wife's concubine, Bilhah, and, and Israel uh, heard about it. The other brothers also undoubtedly heard about it, and they lost respect for Reuben. And, 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 and you know there's some sins that even criminals don't forgive. You know, I mean, a child molester goes to prison and they have to be kept in solitary confinement because even prisoners don't forgive such heinous crimes. Reuben's given lip service as the oldest, but later he goes on with the crowd. Back to Genesis 37, verse 23. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe and the, the, you know, the robe of many colors that he had on. And uh, they took him and they threw him in the pit. Uh, and, and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they, they took his coat and they tore it to pieces. They beat him. They threw him into the cistern and they laughed. And, they be and while they're laughing, Joseph starts begging to get out. But while he's begging to get out, they sit down and eat a meal. Do, do you know how calloused you have to be to do something this heinous and sit down to eat a meal? While they're eating this meal, they look up and there's a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. 
Their camels were carrying uh, gum and balsam and resin, and they were going down to, to Egypt. Uh, the, uh, I guess it's possible to read this and think that this is a coincidence. Right? They throw him in the pit, and just while they're there, they look and they see this caravan coming. But, but I, I hope that you're to the place in your spiritual life where you don't believe in coincidence. I, I, I believe that everything that happens to us is the, the working of God. What people call coincidence, I call God's providence. God knows when a sparrow falls. He knows the hairs on, on our head, which is a much more significant task for some than for others. But in the, in the smallest of details, the Bible says that God is at work. God's going to be in all of this. He's working to break Joseph's pride. He's working to introduce him to the royalty in Egypt. He's going to teach him all the practices of the palace. So when the time comes for him to ascend to authority, he, he's going to be ready. Back to the brothers. Judah said to his brothers, what, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. We can, we can at least make a profit out of this. Let's sell him. And, he, and by the way, he is our brother. I'm glad you figured that out, Judah. And they all agree. Verse 28. The Midianite traders pass by. His brothers pull Joseph out of the pit. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Does that sound familiar? What a picture of Christ. The one who seemed so uh, pure, Joseph, compared to the one who was completely pure, Jesus, sold out for a pocket full of change. So they took Joseph's robe, they slaughtered a young goat, and they dipped it in blood. And then the Bible says... They go back to Jacob, and they they sent the robe of many colors to their father, and they said, "We found this. Examine it. Isn't this your son's robe?" Verse thirty three. His father recognized, him and he said, "It is my son's robe." He said, "A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces, and Jacob tears his clothes. He put on sackcloth. He he, he mourned for his son for many days." And all his sons and daughters, they tried to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I, I, I will go down to Sheol, to my son, mourning. This is going to be who I am for the rest of my life. And he continues to weep for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. And, and, and as, as I think about this passage, I, I want to stop for just a time out. All week as I thought about this passage, I thought, how callous do these sons have to be toward their dad? They go home and their dad is living in grief. Their dad doesn't get over this. This lasts for years and not one of them said, Dad, I I'm sorry, we did something really stupid. I love you way too much to let you go through this. But these sons were consumed with self and they couldn't think of anyone else. <laughs> Joseph gets sold to Potiphar and... I have to wonder what was going through Joseph's mind during this trip. 
I'm sure he was glad he was alive, but his hands were tied. He was treated like an animal, and he didn't know what was going to happen to him. You might have saw this slide that I put up just a second ago, but this is truth, guys. Your life can change in an instant. In an instant, your life can radically, drastically change. You can begin a day like any other, not suspecting it will end any differently, and all of a sudden something happens, and all of life is different. You discover a lump on your body, and you think it might be cancerous. Or you get a phone call from a teacher. Your child might be cutting themselves. Or you, you, you get, go into your boss's office, and they say, we don't need you anymore. Or you find a note from your spouse that they have written to their lover. Or, or you get a, a phone call and it says, Dad's had a heart attack. Or you're just driving along on an ordinary day thinking about simple things and a truck pulls in front of you and, and you're, you find yourself laying on your back in the ICU or you find yourself standing face to face to your Creator. And it can happen so quickly. And if you think you're immune from this, you're a fool. We are all but a breath. We are here for a day and then we're gone and we plan our days and we plan our calendars and we've got our long-term schedule. But you have to recognize none of us can say, I will do this tomorrow. We're not I will do people. We are, 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 are but a dust. The Bible says in James chapter 4 verse 14, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You have no idea. You don't know what your life will be. You're like smoke that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. That is all of us. Your pastor included. Not one of us is immune from, from life's adversity. And that's why we don't put our hope in this life. But we put our hope in the one who transcended this world. We put our hope in the one who can help us to... to to be delivered by putting our trust and faith in Him. The Bible says that He is the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in Him, though they may die, yet shall they live. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what adversity we, we can face. It comes at us. So quickly. Here's Joseph, 17, young, healthy, wealthy, pampered by his father. And all of a sudden, he's tied up on his way to Egypt, sold as a slave. And did you notice what I read just a minute ago? He sold to Potiphar. We're going to meet Potiphar next week, but Potiphar's the chief executioner for Pharaoh. He's good at making slaves behave. And now all of a sudden, Joseph finds himself in his house. Here was... Pampered Joseph, now taking out the garbage, scrubbing latrines, carrying heavy burdens in the heat of the desert. I wonder, those of us who say that Christ carried our burden on the cross, would we be faithful if God allowed adversity to come our way? Verse 2 of Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, though. Hallelujah. That is our story. That the one who died and rose again, he sent the Holy Spirit to come 
dwell with us, the third person in the Trinity who lives with us, and because He lives with us, we know that God is near. We know that God is near us. The Lord was with Joseph. He became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. He could have gone around saying, these aren't my kind of people, this is not my kind of place, I don't deserve to be treated like this, I'm not a slave, I don't want anything to do with this culture. But Joseph didn't, he made the best of a bad situation. You've heard the phrase, bloom where you're planted. He was planted in Egypt and he went to work. He learned the language, he learned the culture, and he observed the people and he began to find favor with his master. And the third point I'd like to make today is sometimes God uses adversity for you to experience Him. I think Joseph's faith in a God who loved him and chose him was developed in adversity. Verse 3 of chapter 39, When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, uh, when, when his master saw this, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and he became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and he placed all that he owned under his authority. Joseph was faithful to the Lord. Even though he didn't understand why he was here, he went to work, he was faithful as a slave, and he began to be promoted in Potiphar's house. So I guess the question that I would ask is, are the things we can do as believers to be faithful? I think the first thing we can do is to prepare our mind for the reality that we might face adversity. There is so much religious garbage in our culture that if you love Jesus, it always gets better. Well, in the end, that is true. If you love Jesus, he makes all things new. But that might happen after an intense, hard season of adversity. And it might last as long as you live on this earth. Prepare your mind that adversity might come your way. The garbage says if you pray hard enough and you believe enough, God will always fix it. Sometimes God doesn't fix it in this life. Sometimes he allows you to stay in your hardship so that you can give him glory by saying, I will trust him regardless of what comes my way. He has loved me. I will love him. Be a realistic. Jesus said in this world you will have trials and tribulation. You will have suffering. But be courageous. I've conquered the world. In her autobiography, Helen Hayes, the actress, tells about her cooking her first Thanksgiving dinner. She informed her husband and her son, now this is the first time in our family's history that I've ever cooked Thanksgiving dinner. I've never cooked a turkey before, and if it's not good, I don't want anybody to say anything. We'll all just get up from the table and go out to the restaurant, and no one will say a word. She went back into the kitchen to get the turkey. When she came back in, her son and her husband had their coats and their hat on. <laughs> You've... Be realistic about your future. Have your hat and your coat on. When adversity comes, don't say how could this possibly happen to me? And strive for unconditional faithfulness. It might happen to you, and if it does, would you be faithful? Would you be counted among the number who praise God anyway? Who say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Be diligent. 
I hear people say, well, when adversity comes, we always grow. Well, that's not true. I've seen people buckle under the pressure of adversity. Sometimes instead of getting better, they get bitter. I've seen them leave their mates, shake their fist at God, go to drugs and alcohol, even commit suicide. Understand when adversity comes, it is work. But be faithful. Don't grow tired in doing good. In due season, we will reap. In God's timing, it will be different. It might be on this side of the grave, but it will definitely be on the next. So don't grow weary in doing good. Job 13, Job says, even though he slays me, I will trust him. I will hope in him. And then I would encourage you to trust God when you can't see him. He may be silent. Life may seem unfair. Life may seem unfair. You may think you're getting the shaft. But God promises in the end that he works all things together for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Isaiah 43 says, I will be with you when you pass through the waters. I will be with you when you pass through the rivers. They will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched. When you walk through the fire and the flame, you will not burn. God doesn't say you'll never have a flood. He says when the flood comes, I won't let you drown. He doesn't say you'll never have a fire. He says when the fire comes, I'll see that you're not burned. Through it all, you just have to learn to trust believing somehow he's going to work it out for your good. And you might say, why in the world should I trust God? Why should I trust God? Well, I will take you to the words of Paul where it says, if the one who did not spare his only son before you, will he not also give all things freely to you? Will he not take care of you? Remember, you had a Savior who gave his life for you, and he will stay with you when life is hard. He will not abandon you. He will not forsaken you. He will be faithful to you to the end. Now praise the Lord. His faithfulness is not like ours. Because I'm... My faithfulness is like sunshine in Kentucky. It doesn't seem to be around as much as I would like. But his faithfulness endures forever. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his kindness and goodness to me. He proved he was faithful in the death of his son. I pray that you will be faithful in the life that you now live for him. Let's pray.